It made me and made everyone else a stronger person. Americans, and even Canadians, never wavered when it came to free expression. That's what led to amazing moments in our society for like hundreds of years. But now things are changing at an incredible speed. The importance of freedom is being quickly forgotten and it's being sold by big tech agendas. One of the motivations for taking Rumble public is something I've kept to myself. I feared that the system could prevent it from happening. Many critics and even some investors wanted us to stay private, but if we did, we'd lose our fight for freedom. I put years and years, decades of thought on how to take on this system and how to win. In a world controlled by massive corporations, you cannot defend freedom from the sidelines. You need to fight the system head on. You need to be smarter, harder working, and most importantly, you need to catch everyone by surprise. No private business can beat trillion dollar public companies. These big tech companies influence information flow, academia, governments, and a vast part of the population. But here's the good news. We just surprised the entire world. We have created a vehicle for the public to get behind. It is now, and it is now up to the public on how bad they want to win this fight. Because we can't win this alone. We need you, every single one of you. We now have a chance to grow our market cap to take on big tech. This is the only way to win. We'll use this market cap to acquire amazing talent that won't be influenced by corporate media or big tech. We'll use this market cap to acquire assets that will accelerate our goal to restoring the free and open internet. We will build an independent infrastructure so large and reliable that big tech can't put their hands on us. We will fight the machine relentlessly. I will. And with your help, we can now win. The establishments of their time sent Galileo to jail for his scientific theories and tried to destroy Martin Luther King Jr. because he fought for freedom. Unlike any other public company, Rumble will always defend free speech and the right to think differently. That's our mission, because whether we agree or disagree with what's being said, we believe everyone benefits when we have access to more ideas, diverse opinions, and dialogue. I want to end on this note. Envision a world without freedom of speech. Does that mean no women's rights movements? No civil rights movements? A schoolyard in a media that resembles the USSR and China? I cannot and will not ever get behind that. I've been fighting. Rumble has been fighting. But now we need you. Every single one of you. If you want to restore the internet to be free and open, you can now join the fight. All right. So I wanted to give some love to um, Chris. And oh, let me mute this so it doesn't come back on. So Chris Rumble, he's the CEO. He does a couple of interviews. He's fighting in the machine. He's not outside the machine, but he's fighting in the machine. And I wanted you guys to kind of see this because this hasn't gotten many views. You know, for being the CEO of Rumble, not many views. So I thought it was important that we showcase him. Thank you, Chris, for fighting within the machine. I think it's time we focus on stepping outside the machine, though. And to do that, 
to defeat the darkness, you got to bring some light. If you want to fight a war, you don't fight a war with guns and knives. You fight it with books, library. That's the best place to learn how to win wars. Now let's get started. They say has no bearing, it's so scary in a house that allows no swearing to see him walking around with his headphones blaring, alone in his own zone, cold and he don't care, he's a problem child, and what bothers him all comes out when he talks about his fucking dad walking out, cause he hates him so bad that he blocks him out, if he ever saw him again he'd probably knock him out, his thoughts are whacked, he's mad so he's talking back, talking black. If we don't have free speech, then we just don't have a free country. It's as simple as that. If this most fundamental right is allowed to perish, then the rest of our rights and liberties will topple just like dominoes, one by one. They'll go down. That's why today I'm announcing my plan to shatter the left-wing censorship regime and to reclaim the right to free speech for all Americans. And reclaim is a very important word in this case because they've taken it away. In recent weeks, bombshell reports have confirmed that a sinister group of deep state bureaucrats, Silicon Valley tyrants, left-wing activists, and depraved corporate news media have been conspiring to manipulate and silence the American people. They have collaborated to suppress vital information on everything from elections to public health. The censorship cartel must be dismantled and destroyed, and it must happen immediately. And here's my plan. First, within hours of my inauguration, I will sign an executive order banning any federal department or agency from colluding with any organization, business, or person to censor, limit, categorize, or impede the lawful speech of American citizens. I will then ban federal money from being used to label domestic speech as mis- or disinformation. And I will begin the process of identifying and firing every federal bureaucrat who has engaged in domestic censorship, directly or indirectly, whether they are the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Health, Human Services, the FBI, the DOJ, no matter who they are. Second, I will order the Department of Justice to investigate all parties involved in the new online censorship regime, which is absolutely destructive and terrible, and to aggressively prosecute any and all crimes identified. These include possible violations of federal civil rights law, campaign finance laws, federal election law, securities law and antitrust laws, the Hatch Act, and a host of other potential criminal, civil, regulatory, and constitutional offenses. To assist in these efforts, I am urging House Republicans to immediately send preservation letters, and we have to do this right now, to the Biden administration, the Biden campaign, and every Silicon Valley tech giant ordering them not to destroy evidence of censorship. Third, upon my inauguration as president, I will ask Congress to send a bill to my desk revising Section 230 
to get big online platforms out of censorship business. From now on, digital platforms should only qualify for immunity protection under Section 230 if they meet high standards of neutrality, transparency, fairness, and non-discrimination. We should require these platforms to increase their efforts to take down unlawful content such as child exploitation and promoting terrorism while dramatically curtailing their power to arbitrarily restrict lawful speech. Fourth, we need to break up the entire toxic censorship industry that has arisen under the false guise of tackling so-called mis- and disinformation. The federal government should immediately stop funding all nonprofits and academic programs that support this authoritarian project. If any U.S. university is discovered to have engaged in censorship activities or election interferences in the past, such as flagging social media content for removal of blacklisting, those universities should lose federal research dollars and federal student loan support for a period of five years and maybe more. We should also enact new laws laying out clear criminal penalties for federal bureaucrats who partner with private entities to do an end run around the Constitution and deprive Americans of their First, Fourth, and Fifth Amendment rights. In other words, deprive them of their vote. And once you lose those elections, and once you lose your borders like we have, you no longer have a country. Furthermore, to confront the problems of major platforms being infiltrated by legions of former deep staters and intelligence officials, there should be a seven-year calling-off period before any employee of the FBI, CIA, NSA, DNI, DHS, or DOD is allowed to take a job at a company possessing vast quantities of U.S. user data. Fifth, the time has finally come for Congress to pass a digital Bill of Rights. This should include a right to digital due process. In other words, government officials should need a court order to take down online content, not send information requests such as the FBI was sending to Twitter. Furthermore, when users of big online platforms have their content or accounts removed, throttled, shadow banned, or otherwise restricted, no matter what name they use, they should have the right to be informed that it's happening, the right to a specific explanation of the reason why, and the right to a timely appeal. In addition, all users over the age of 18 should have the right to opt out of content moderation and curation entirely and receive an unmanipulated stream of information if they so choose. The fight for free speech is a matter of victory or death for America and for the survival of Western civilization itself. When I am president, this whole rotten system of censorship and information control will be ripped out of the system at large. There won't be anything left. By restoring free speech, we'll begin to reclaim our democracy and save our nation. Thank you, and God bless America. That was fantastic. Now let's take a look at what preceded that. One moment. Let me get there. What's up? Whoops. Let's go to my timeline. It's kind of fun just to look. So yesterday I was kind of just truthing around. 
And what prompted my truthing around, and I'll start with my first truth if I can find it. Where is my, where are my truths? Are they like gone? No biscuit. So I apologize for the delay. I wanted to do it at 12, but I wasn't really feeling well. Um, how to do the right binding. Jeez, where did my stuff go? Okay, here we go. We'll start with this nugget. View context. There we go. This nugget over here, I believe that you're seeing it. It's actually quite tiny and I can't zoom in. I'm going to read this out to you. Heidi Smith from NorthDakota.gov. Saturday, January 29th, 2022 at 9.25 p.m. Subject, re, first thing in the morning. Absolutely. We will let you know when it's completed. Heidi, what was she referring to? From Liz Brocker. Let me tell you who Liz Brocker is. Liz Brocker, back in the 90s, was the personal assistant to Wayne Stengem, the former Attorney General of North Dakota's uh, law firm, before he became the Attorney General of North Dakota. She left his law firm when he became AG in 2000, and she began, she became his gatekeeper. She handled all his communications, every single bit of it. Now, let me read to you the response. Here's what Liz told Heidi to do. First thing Monday, could you have Wayne's nd.gov email account shut down and the emails in his box, in box folder, sent items, all of them deleted. Troy and I went today and are meeting again tomorrow. I will search for personal emails that Beth might want <laughs> and print them off. We want to make sure no one has the opportunity to make an open record request for his emails, especially as he kept everything. This was approved by Troy. Troy Troy Seibel was an assistant attorney general, one of the uh, 19 attorney generals in total that were going up against me for what they claimed to question was $300, where they violated my first, fourth, and fifth amendment, kind of like what President Trump said. Claiming that I had defrauded people, which I did not. <laughs> but the problem that they had with me was uh, a lot more difficult to cover up. And the reason it was difficult to cover up is because, you know, they were skimming off information. So here's an email that I'm putting on the screen. Uh, you know, showing tons of interactions that I had with Liz Bronker, just so you know. And I'm not telling you this because I want you to pat me on my back. I am not telling you this because I need your validation to whoever's listening. I validate myself. I'm good with myself, and that's enough for me. Now, I'm going to show you how all these insider information grifters have no idea what the heck is going on. And, you know, sometimes you just know you have to go through things in order to get things done. I'm going to read you an expert. I had requested some information in regards to an operation that I had conducted on my own that led to the arrest and trial of a sheriff of Wells County in North Dakota and nurses and had the DA everywhere. Why? Because I discovered that they had uncovered my identity in that, even though I had anonymously done it, right? Um, 
And, and I asked them for the evidence. So I asked Liz, hey, Liz, so maybe you can reconsider your response on my open records request, which, by the way, I've caught her on three occasions lying, documented, right, of course, um, where I said, hey, in the year 2015, February 23rd, 2015, call the BCI anonymous tip line, February 25th, 2015, filed an anonymous tip online, provided details about the nurse practitioner, Sheriff Lawson, police chief, the establishments, and advised that there are three specified patients being overprescribed opioids and amphetamines. My concerns with the, was the fentanyl, but you know that came later. Jeff Sessions appeared in North Dakota in 2018, and they locked that down. Yeah. You're welcome. And I'm not saying that because I want you to say thank you. I just want to show you while everyone keeps saying nothing's being done, there's a lot being done. But unfortunately, we have to be patient. Unfortunately, some of us have to get sling through the mud. I mean, you got to be a fighter. You got to be able to take hits. You don't go in there and expect to be like Mike Tyson. Well, no, even Mike Tyson takes a punch and a blow every now and then, doesn't he? So just pay attention to where I'm going with this. So you can understand how weird it is that yesterday, I'm actually pointing out what today, which is the Bill of Rights Day also, right? It was signed in Virginia, ratified, wasn't it today? Years, years, years ago. Let me continue. On February 27, 2015, I called and asked you specifically information on how to submit documents to an existing anonymous complaint. On March 6, 2015, I received a call on the telephone line. I phoned in my anonymous tip from a man who called himself Dallas, who was the head of the Bureau of Criminal Investigations of the Attorney General, identified himself to be. So how am I anonymous if you're calling me back on the number that I used to make an anonymous call? And he just wanted to know how I had this information. <laughs> like, it's almost like, you know, how in Kentucky, they want to know how I had information about the elections. And the guy on the phone was like, when did you steal the election machine? And I'm like, is this guy stupid? Anyway, furthermore, thus, after that, I communicated all information to the Board of Pharmacy, Board of Nursing, Medical Board, DA, DOJ, Insurance Commissioner, State's Attorney in Wells County, Police Chief, which, by the way, I have full record of, right? Also. They all told me they communicated the information to the BCI. Once again, Liz, I would like to have the records of those communications pertaining to the nurse practitioner in the investigation. Like I said, I sent the correspondence, so there's record of that, unless you're inferring to those communications for me no longer present. So what timeline is it on destroying communications? Funny how the nurse practitioner that writes scripts, licenses and are, are under review at the nursing board. Does that not alert? Because I had their licenses under review. I went that far because the attorney general's office and BCI weren't doing anything for the fentanyl issue. Funny how the attorney general's office is using opioid man is suing opioid manufacturers, but allows their distribution blatant as well as run amok. I attached an email I sent to the police chief who mysteriously resigned it was a copy and paste from a document I wrote up and filed a complaint with the BCI. Did I mention I sent it by fax to pretty big one? Got record of that too. Lots of documents and evidence. Maybe you could look a little bit harder. Now, I sent that email and it was, you know, I was always snarky because sometimes it's better to sell crazy so they think you're not a threat, right? Rather than be articulate and, and have a sustenant argument. Because then people underestimate you. Liz Broker, Brocker, Brocker. Elizabeth Brocker is her name. 
So now that her email has been published that she gave the order to delete 23 years of DOJ emails, colluding with assistant attorney generals, which should be Troy Seibel, Brian Card, Perel Grossman, oh, and many, many, many more. You know, all of this would not have happened without the help of Governor Burgum. I can almost guarantee you that Microsoft aided in the purging of SQL. And the question then would be, hey, Wrigley, who was former U.S. attorney in North Dakota, appointed, unfortunately, with bad direction, you know, people just suggest shit to President Trump and he relies on people doing their job. We all have to learn and we all have to let them show us where they stand, right? Well, he became acting attorney general since, you know, Wayne Stengem killed himself before he was indicted. Now, let me read you this email, which is pertinent to today. This is from 2018. Liz, it seems you don't understand what PIAs are. Let me elaborate. And I put a link. The link you sent me, because she sent me that for privacy policy, pertains to information collected when accessing the website. This is not what I'm asking for. According to the Memorandum of Understanding, signed and dated May 2013, collecting and disseminating private identifying information under e-government act of 2002, your office must have completed a PIA. Specifically, it states the requirement, privacy impact assessments are required by Section 208 of the e-government act for all federal government agencies to develop or procure new information technology involving collection, maintenance, dissemination, blah, 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 right? All of that stuff. Considering the DOJ clearly states that any MOU agreements concerning PII must, the below privacy impact assessment and documents, analyze the handling of personally identifying information, PII, in an electronic system to ensure compliance with applicable legal regulatory policy requirements regarding policy. The PIA is used to determine the risks and effects of collecting, maintaining, and disseminating PII in electronic information systems to examine and evaluate the protections and alternative processes for handling private identifying information to mitigate potential privacy risks. So basically, where is it? Your offers entered multiple PII collection sharing agreements with various entities. Each For each one, you need a PIA done. So again, where's your PIA report like the one I attached? Another contract you denied the existence of because I caught her in a lie saying that it didn't exist, which is also mandated by law. I have a lawsuit ready to go to drop on your office's violation of federal law. I don't want to file it until I give your office the opportunity to deny to, to do any of the predictable options. One, provide it but you don't have it though. Two, stonewall with one size fits all response or three, find a way to make a law that excludes you from having one. And obviously in my sarcastic way, you'd think I have a crystal ball or something. Like I said, from day one, I am way ahead of you. Over two years, I've been working on this. Can you provide the PIA report prior to the North Dakota Attorney General's office signed the agreement? Also tell Brian Card and Peral Grossman. I'll CC them to ensure delivery of the message. Just stop sending me mail with my name spelled wrong. Not accepting an email that does not address me appropriately. It's not like I send letters to the AG's office with Wayne's name spelled wrong. Please sort it out. I have to keep sending mail back. So, why am I showing you this? Well, one thing that I had discovered throughout my ordeals is that, um, and I did publish this in Big League Politics, that um, the executive orders that Bush had pushed through were really, really loose. And while the e-governance act doesn't apply to state entities, when a state entities enters into agreements with federal agencies like the CIA, DHS, FBI, 
Bah, you know, um, <laughs> DNI, DIA, you name it, U.S. military, PIA assessments are mandated. And they have a number of information on every single citizen there. Now, the reason I put this out was just to showcase some things. But here's where the real pickle is. I had to elaborate the question, so I looped in Acting Attorney General of the United States, Gore, which worked under Sessions and Matt Whitaker. Um, and I kind of uh, put this question on. Again, this is 2018. This is before anybody was talking about any of these things. Um, since the AG of North Dakota has a great relationship with Cambridge Analytica, I'd like to know if the company is assisting in collecting this data to provide to other agencies uh, from the citizens of North Dakota. And prior to that, I said, what the, because she said she didn't understand my request. So I elaborated and looped in the DOJ. I said, what the request meant was, do the people of North Dakota know that the North Dakota Attorney General is handing over such identifiable and private information for no other purpose except to grow and train their new people tracking algorithms without their permission? Did he ever make that announcement? That was my question. And I also said, I would like the letter, email, text, call, discussion, and or minutes where the North Dakota, where North Dakota Attorney General Wayne Stenjum agreed to provide the information, data, identifiable information, including but not limited to name, date of birth, address, sex, blood type, health records, service records, deeds, death, facial recognition, DNA makeup, and in parentheses. That's another one coming next week. Physical attributes, fingerprints, location data, and any other data deemed to be identifiable or private to the FBI and other agencies to assist with enhancing their people tracking algorithm. Why am I telling you this? Well, do you guys remember when COVID hit? Do you remember who came out first with the contract tracing app? Do you guys remember it? Do you remember? Right. It was the state of North Dakota. The state of North Dakota, specifically, it was Doug Burgum, who announced that he had an app within like almost instantly. Almost instantly. Remember, he was on CNN. He was on Fox. He was everywhere about contact tracing app. Remember, he held the QR codes that you go and you, you get this, right? You can get this done, and all you have to do is line up, scan your QR code like you're at an airport, and boom. Right? Do you remember that? Because they were the ones training. Well, the Bison app was what he said it was used. That's how they were housing under the – see, they had he had created this app where he could track the people that follow football. But what they had done is that they had cloned that app because COVID was already pre-planned, you guys. And this whole thing was planned. Again, I already knew. I actually had insider information, right? So what they did was the North Dakota Attorney General had an agreement with Doug Berg and Microsoft where he was providing all the data that he was providing to the FBI, including health records, blood type, and everything, so that he can create a contact tracing app. So what he did was he experimented with all these stupid idiots that downloaded the Bison app so they can track them, right? Remember? To track them where they go for football games because people are that dumb. And Bill Gates got all the data from Attorney General Wayne Stenjum 
And then Gates had tapped the Chinese company that's just north of um, Grand Forks, literally sits on the other side of the border in Canada, right? No joke, right? And they replicated the UND football app and they fed data to every single person that had signed up for the app. They added their deed information, health information, blood information, and then they would see who they would be in contact with. So when COVID hit within a week, he had that software ready. Remember, it was like the cloud contact, whatever thing. He was so proud of himself because <laughs> it was all planned. Now, I'll tell you what. If I hadn't filed any of that stuff, if I hadn't been put through the ringer, if I hadn't been, you know, and this is why I thank God. In, 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 <laughs> and this is so weird to say. If I hadn't been put through hell. I would not have rushed to send off all that documentation. I would have kept on to it in a more paced way. So remember the contact tracing was being done through GPS and Bluetooth. They had all that technology and it was called the people tracking algorithm. Um, so when, when, when I saw that the PTA was actually um, done in that sense to track people, I was like, damn, you just have to revisit the shows in early 2020 where I was telling you about Doug Burgum so you can understand. And the reason is, is because cyber oligarchs, yeah, core 19, there you go. Cyber oligarchs, you know, are very smart because, you know, we talk about all these elites, but we don't talk about the people that are actually allegedly in control. And this is why back in 2018, it was in 2018, right? March 11th, 2018. This is before I think I even sent that email. Am I right? Let me, let me just check. Let me check. Uh, that was, that doesn't show me the date. Hold on. That one was oh, August 2018. The email that I showed you was August 2018. Let me show you what I put together as an open letter. And this is why it's important today. I think uh, it was done in March. So I wrote this open letter. I'm going to read it for those that are uh, listening to me on the podcast. So let me see if I need to zoom in a little bit so people can actually read along, I guess. So I wrote this on March 11th, March 11th, 2018. Dear Mr. President, it's 2018 and I believe we are well overdue an internet bill of rights. I'm not an attorney, legal consultant, or judge and simply have outlined what rights I seek my nation to afford my virtual presence in the cyberspace community. I feel that it is an area that must be addressed and I have only copy and pasted the short version of the Bill of Rights and modified them to what my simple mind finds adequate. I would ask of you to take this outline draft, but nevertheless, necessity into strong consideration and help us be afforded the rights dictated by our Bill of Rights to reflect upon the intangible cyberspace community as the Internet Bill of Rights. This open letter has been prompted by extreme violation of our First Amendment rights afforded to us in tangible community, but not in the cyberspace community. And thus these actions are unfortunately carrying over into the tangible community at an alarming rate. In addition, Twitter had released a video featuring at Jack discussing the possibility of a global RFP to discuss their vetting, security, and safety process. I believe that such an activity 
would be a preservation of our rights as American and foreign influence may bring on more hindrance and violations. The intangible and tangible communities of a U.S. citizen is a member of seem to lack coordinating boundaries in regards to rights, safety, law, and require immediate action. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. Warmest regards, Tori. So this Internet Bill of Rights of 2018 that I put together, pretty simple. The conventions of a number of citizens of the United States have expressed the need to bring forth rights reflecting that our countries have expressed a desire in order to bring order to the intangible internet community and its lawlessness that specified declaratory and restrictive clauses should be created. This bill need to be resolved by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States in Congress that the following articles may be proposed to the legislature of the United States as intangible cyberspace amendments to the tangible Constitution and such rights of the United States, all or any of which the articles, when ratified by three-fourths of the said legislatures, to be valid to all intents and purposes as part of the said Constitution applied for cyberspace. Speaking on behalf of my cyberspace community, having appointed myself to begin the process of such a structure body of persons representing cyberspace does not exist until this day, the 11th day of the third month of the year 2018 AD. Mr. President, I propose that such a body be created by elected persons to represent the needs of the cyber community within the United States. Further, the following rights should be addressed in the IBOR bill. Freedom of religion, speech, and press. U.S.-based cyberspace companies, such that have headquarters in the United States and do not have tariffs or such impositions of fees to operate or receive federal funding through acknowledged as utilities and regulated by FCC, either they are private, public, private or public with majority of U.S.-based customers, shall have no regulations, restrictions, or law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people to peacefully assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. It's a pretty bill of rights. <clears throat> it's not a big problem, right? It's kind of uh, a no-brainer, right, when we go through it. The right to cyber arms, uh, a well-regulated independent anti-malware being necessary, to the security of a free state, to the right of the people to keep and secure their information and shall not be infringed, referring to diversion IPs through government servers, piggyback spyware, and adware, etc. at Citizens Lab. Amendment 3, the housing of cyber police. No cyber police shall in time of peace be quartered in any cyberspace domain without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. Now, you want to guess what that is. That's called infiltration or, I don't know, cloning your site or, I don't know, putting worms or keystroke loggers, right? Cyber police, right? Amendment four, protection from unreasonable search, searches and seizures. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by the oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons to be seized, or things to be seized. Now, as a person, I can tell you, I had my Fourth Amendment violated 
I had secret subpoenas actually put out that were invalid but upheld by a banking institution. The bank was called Gate City Bank. That bank will pay me a very pretty penny for violating my rights. But I have to finish my civil suit against the state before I could do that. Maybe I can own that bank. And maybe we can have our actual Patriot Bank, right? Who knows? We'll see. Whatever God provides. Amendment 5, of rights to life, liberty, and property. No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless a presentment or indictment of grand jury, except in cases of arising in the land of naval forces, militia, blah, blah, blah. Basically, you can't just ban someone to the land of nowhere and exile them like they did Laura Loomer and other people, you know, without, you know, allowing them to be able to plead the fifth and have an actual trial of it. Because... This is basically it. They unperson you and put you to the side. Think of all these uh, monetary companies that say, we don't want your business. And it's like, then fuck off. You're not allowed to actually work within the United States. Almost kind of like I said, you know, if I was the governor of Ohio, if I was the secretary of state of Ohio and the Cleveland Clinic said, unless you have a vaccine, you can't work. I'll be like, yo, Cleveland, got to find another city because you can't work here. If you say that, that's against the Constitution. That's against the Ohio State Constitution. That's considered discrimination. You can't work. You know, there's pretty simple answers, but people keep making them complicated. Rights of the accused persons in criminal cases, rights in civil cases, excessive bail, other rights kept by the people, foreign influence and domestic security. And here's where we land, where we're going to start talking about Q. So I know all of you want to hear that. But to understand that, you have to understand that in order for us to be able to get things done in our country, in order for us to be able to pull their pants down, because they're not doing it willingly, right? They hide. They're really good hiders, right? They like to hide. You know, sometimes you got to file that in lawsuits. You know, you know, all those emails you saw, right, that I put, there's a shit ton more. So all these people that called me a thief and lied about me, none of them actually read my case because if they did, they would have seen those emails. So having said that, having said that, okay, <laughs> oh my God, I need to find the video. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I just thought of something. I'm so sorry. Give me a second. So I want you to, 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 to listen to me very carefully. And I don't want this to be misconstrued. I found the video that I wanted. We're good. I have repeatedly stated that this is a war between old gods and new gods. I have encouraged many people, my listeners that is, and if you're new, welcome, to watch the TV series. We don't know why it was terminated. But I believe that revisiting that just a little bit will help you understand the whole Q thing. So, and it's pretty genius. So I want you first to see a little clip of, where is it? Gosh, gosh darn it. Okay. I want you to see a little clip of Tech Boy. So in this TV series, um, 
American Gods. Tech Boy is a representation of uh, the evolvement, the evolution, I would say, of man. So technology, innovation, etc. In this clip, Tech Boy, who represents the evolution, finds media, old media, and has a conversation with them. Listen to the conversation, and then we'll see him find new media. And I want you to pay attention to the little nuances. Media. Oh, media. Come out, come out, wherever you are. All this noisy noise is making me itch. Hey, I see you. Come on, Mr. World wants you. We can't drive into the future using only our rear view mirror. No shit, come on, get in the car. The 20th century is ancient history. Like the faces you wear. Bowie and Marilyn and I Love Lucy. They are so fucking retro. And art, art is irrelevant. Art is the most valuable means of insight into the direction of our collective purpose. You're looking for insight. The appetite for destruction is infinite. You're looking for insight. I can choke them with trivia, drown them in passive pleasures, and devastate their spirituality with baby talk. Wednesday scared the shit out of you, so now you're back in school. No distinction between education and entertainment. I'm adapting, learning to survive. <laughs> if I go back empty-handed, you'll downvote my ass to obsolete. I will not launch before I'm prepared. World needs you back right now. Get your incomprehensibly aggravated. Fatal flaw. Underestimating me. You think you can ghost in my machine? I am mankind's greatest achievement. I am the compass rose. I am fucking binary. <laughs> Without me, shit don't spin. You can't hide. So, lick your wounds, strap on whichever do makes you feel the mostest, put your face on it. Come on! Come on! Mr. World needs you. Not make me hunt you. Out of respect. I'm gonna give you a minute. Good talk. And now let's see new media. Here's where new media evolves. And I want you to pay attention to the nuances. No wonder they took this offline. I'll tie it up with a little bit of history. The big flood that no one talks about. We only talk about Noah's flood. We should talk about that. Tori, what does that have to do with Q? Wait for it.
is new. New media. And that's a happy birthday to me. So, what's our play, boys? Argus. Oh, fuck yes. The man with the fiber optics. You know, that's my jam. So, media from advertising and art and manipulating an influence turned into an Asian-looking emoji lover. Shorter span. And we need to target the fiber optics. See, the one thing that was consistent in this uh, show was talking about the major flood that happened that nobody talks about. Because it's mythology, of course. That was before Bible times, right? Before that. Or was it after? I don't know. Were you there? I may be there. Maybe I was. Maybe I was. Were you? I don't know. Were you? What? Just bear with this. Let's take a listen to this old story of a major flood and fight with serpents and giants and all these bad people that a lot of people don't talk about. It's kind of like, I don't know, a cultish thing, right? They just have sidelined it. Well, wait, Tori, you said you were going to talk about Kyo. Wait, just be patient. Because the one thing you have to understand is Every single war, every single flood, every single reset, every single revelation, every single time we go through this as a civilization, the players are different. There was old media, the Marilyn Monroe, the Lucille Balls, the big advertisements, the pop art, right? And then it turned out to be emojis and Instagram and TikTok. Well, biblical times, we're talking about giants and I don't know. Angels that came from heaven and gods, and then you had the Greeks, and but nobody talks about the Norsk. The Norsk. So let's just take a look at what Revelations in Norsk is about. I think you guys are going to find this pretty interesting. You know what they call it? Ragnarok. Those are their end times. Now you're going to be like, what? Just, just, just see. There's always that one thing that happens where the thing that was created for good was distributed and then it was used for good, but then evil got upset that it was used for good. So they started to use it for evil. And then the evil that got upset for them using it for good targeted them, but then in them fighting the good because they were upset that they got caught doing evil, well, I'll explain to you with lawsuits. Because January 6, 2023 is a very interesting day, and you'll see why. Midgard was the land of the descendants of Ask and Embla, the first pair of humans created by the gods. Mankind survived with the protection of the gods who had always shielded them from the forces of chaos. 
Thor, the Terminator of Giants, prevented the land of men from being taken over by the Jotnar. Under the gods' protection, mankind thrived without ever forgetting to pay the proper sacrifices to the gods. These men were used to dealing with the strictness of winter and were always preparing themselves to counteract all the difficulties that a long, icy winter could subject them to. But even these men knew that the reign of the gods would not be eternal, and that the Asgardian deities would have to face the forces of evil during Ragnarok. In Midgard, the land of men, the summer was ending. It all pointed to a great harvest ahead. But a cold wind blew, and unexpected frosts devastated a great share of the crops. The tree leaves quickly acquired autumn colors and fell way before the expected period, a sign that a harsh winter was approaching. Even with their crops ruined, men tried to prepare themselves as much as they could for the impending winter. But despite that determination, they could not be ready to face the approaching nightmare. Thambulvatr had arrived, and with it, the long winter. Three winters would follow without any summer in between. Men and their livestock found shelter from the intense cold in their coats, in an attempt to survive without perishing before the freezing cold. The nights appeared to be longer. Every night, men feared that the sun would never rise again. Their food supplies would end, and due to hunger, they were forced to all eat egg-producing chickens and even their pets. Those who attempted to hunt an animal in the cold became easy prey for the packs of Fenrir's offspring. Men began to fight between themselves for scarce resources. Brother fought brother. Children challenged their parents. Chaos settled among men. The war axes were always drenched in blood. In Asgard, the Isirian gods watched the signs that pointed to the ultimate quarrel between the gods and the forces of chaos. This cataclysmic event will be known as Ragnarok, the twilight of the gods. After three virtually never-ending winters, chaos settled into the realm of men. Few managed to escape alive from the bloody anarchy that followed. The prophesied conditions for the beginning of Ragnarok had been established. Two wolves, who claimed to be Fenrir's offspring, crossed the skies, going after the sun and moon. Hades chased the moon, and Skull pursued the sun. The deities who embodied the two celestial bodies' time managed to escape the wolves for a long time, but they would not dodge Fenrir's offspring forever. That was when the wolves finally reached their prey and swallowed them. Without sun nor moon, the world fell into darkness. The end was near. Major earthquakes made by Yggdrasil, the tree of the world, trembled. The great crack and the mountains collapsed. The rock on which the mighty Fenrir wolf was bound had been shattered. The colossal wolf was finally freed, and he sought revenge. Jormungand, the serpent of the world, convulsed in the waters, causing massive waves. These tsunamis leveled the few surviving coastal cities. The colossal serpent released its terrible poison, contaminating the waters. From the smallest living creatures, like the planktons, to the largest whales, they all perished intoxicated by the terrible snake. Loki, imprisoned and subjected to a dreadful torment, had his moorings broke. Like his son Fenrir, Loki only had one desire in his heart, the destruction of the Asgardian gods. 
The god of lies walked down to Helheim, the kingdom where the souls of those who had an unworthy death ended up. There, his daughter Hel reigned sovereign. The queen of the dead realm handed to her father the command of an army of the undead. This army included the corpses of those who had experienced a shameful death. These Nordic zombies wanted to reach the sort of glory they failed to attain when they were alive. Nidthogger, the dragon that gnaws the roots of the tree of the worlds, dug a great tunnel through which the armies of the dead would march to the land of men. Massive flames signaled that the army of Muspelheim was marching on. The giants of the flaming lands were led by Surtur, the Black. The colossal giant burned everything in his path with his flaming sword. The Jotunheimer ice giants jumped on giant ships made with human nails and sailed towards Vigrithur, the place chosen as the battleground between the gods and the forces of chaos. The doubts of Heimdall, the guardian of the gods, had been dissipated, for Ragnarok had begun. The god finally blew the Yalahorn, and his sound could be heard throughout the universe. This was the warning everyone dreaded. The end of the era of the Aesirian gods was approaching. The great battle would begin. Heimdall's ringing horn announced that the day of the final battle had finally arrived. The forces of chaos, commanded by Loki, were eager to put an end to the reign of the Aesir gods, ready to use every available means to achieve such a goal. The Asgardian gods knew that the great battle was inevitable, and they had prepared themselves for the great day for thousands of years. The gates of Valhalla were opened, and thousands of warriors stepped out of the Great Hall and formed Odin's great army. This army comprised the bravest warriors who, while they were alive, died fighting bravely in the battlefields. They were taken by the Valkyries to the Hall of Valhalla, where they waited to again display all their courage while fighting alongside the gods during the Ragnarok. All the gods capable of wielding a weapon joined the fighters. The massive army of the Muspelheim giants tried to shatter the Asgardian gates. The Bifrost bridge collapsed in the process, and part of the great army fell into the waters. The Asgardians cherished as the giants drowned in the river waters, but the gods knew that their destiny was not to hide behind the powerful walls constructed by the giant builder. Their destiny was to honorably face the forces of darkness in the open field. So Odin, on his glorious eight-legged horse, ordered the attack. The army of the gods advanced against their enemies. When their enemies clashed, the impact was so immense that it made Yggdrasil, the tree of the worlds, tremble. Thor, the champion of the gods, wanted to smash the heads of thousands of giants and was killing his enemies by the hundreds. The ice giants were led by Hurum during the final battle, fighting Odin's ranks with great courage. Loki guided Hel's armies of living dead, composed of the dead who had experienced an unworthy death. Frey, the Vanir god, fought bravely on his golden boar next to the Asgardians. The valiant god attacked Surtur, the mighty leader of the Muspelheim fire giants. Frey did his very best, but that was not enough to defeat Surtur, who killed the Vanir god with his flaming sword. Before his death, 
Frey regretted having given his magic sword to Skrymir, since everything could have ended differently if he had had it in his hands. Frey was the first god to crumble on the battlefield, and many others would follow him. Tyr, the warrior god who sacrificed his hand for the gods in order to trap the wolf Fenrir, also fell after facing Garm, the powerful wolf of Hel, who defended the world of the dead. However, before his death, Tyr still managed to stick his sword into the hellish beast's heart. The battlefield was shaken when Jormungadr, the serpent of the world, appeared ready to fight. The creature unleashed a mist of venomous gases that killed the warriors of the gods. After encountering the serpent, Thor felt an immense impetus because he had been waiting for the decisive battle between him and his old rival. The fight between Thor and Jormungadr was nothing short of epic. The gigantic serpent attempted to swallow the Asgardian hero as the latter dodged his strikes and counterattacked with powerful hammer blows. The god of thunder managed to hit Jormungadr, forcing it to plunge into the ground, wounded. Thor unleashed a deadly blow to the serpent's head. The Asgardian gods and warriors cherished their champion's victory. Nevertheless, Thor's strike was so strong that it shattered Jormungadr's poison pockets, spreading a venomous cloud around Thor. Thor dropped on his knees and fell dead, poisoned. Without his ultimate champion, the battle against the forces of chaos became even more difficult for the gods. Fenrir, the giant wolf and son of Loki, devoured all those who opposed him, but he wanted to find Odin, his mortal enemy. The supreme god of Asgard knew that his destiny was to fight the terrifying wolf, Loki's son, and he did not run away from that opportunity. Odin spurred Sleipnir and advanced against Fenrir. But Odin's destiny was not to get out of this clash alive. Fenrir opened his massive mouth and devoured the father of all. The gigantic wolf mocked the gods after his victory against Aesir's wisest. That vexation filled Vider's heart with hate, Odin's son. His fury gave him massive strength. Vider attacked Fenrir, and the latter tried to bite him, but Vider stuck his feet into the wolf's tongue and, with his strong arms, pushed his teeth away. The strength he put in was so colossal that he tore Fenrir's jaw in half. The gigantic wolf was dead. Even with his son's death, Loki felt satisfied with the carnage while watching the fall of the gods, one after the other. Heimdall, the guardian of the Rainbow Ridge, advanced between the army of the dead of Hel, making his way to Loki. Heimdall and Loki dueled, and the plasticity of the quarrel made it look like a deadly dance. Loki and Heimdall hit each other several times. The duel did not have a winner, and both died. The giant Surtur burned the world with his sword. The flames took over everything. There were no fighters on the side of the living, nor on the side of the dead. Only ashes remained. The flames reached Asgard, and the palaces were consumed by rivers of fire. The water level of the oceans rose to form a major flood. There was nothing else on Earth. The age of the Aesir gods was over. The waters that swept the earth receded, and in the earth that emerged after the flood, 
plants started to blossom again. A new sun emerged and put an end to the darkness that had taken over the earth. The Yggdrasil tree did not withstand the damage during the Ragnarok and fell, but inside the great ash tree, a secret surprise was concealed. The gods had hidden a couple of mortal beings so that the human race could resist the events of Ragnarok. The world would be repopulated again thanks to the love of this couple. The Asgardian kingdom had disappeared, but a new kingdom called Ithvalor would take its place. Six gods took their seats in Ithvalor, the sons of Odin, Vidar, who killed Fenrir, and his brother Vali were there. The sons of Thor, Magni, and Mothi carried the god of thunder's hammer, standing for this new kingdom. Baldr, the most beloved of the gods, emerged from the world of the dead, who together with Hothar, rose to take the last seats. There, they remembered the old traditions and discussed the future, trying not to repeat the mistakes of the past. The gods found the golden chess pieces used in the gods' games, and just like their parents, they began a new round of the ancestral game. A new cycle was beginning. fascinating see no one's ever seen like the a little short form version of norse mythology to you know with these eyes today being exposed to so much information you know obviously symbology is very important because symbology can be your your glory or your failure now what you saw was new gods with old gods and disseminating a mist that killed people and then floods and then there's a new dawn because in some arc at the base of a tree that turned into ash, two humans were hidden to start and prosper, almost like an arc. It's almost like an arc. This could be the same story being told from another perspective. So I thought, rather than you listen to a story that you're going to hear about on January 6th, you can hear the real story. Tori, what do you mean real story? How do you know the real story? Well, I'm going to show you because you're going to know the real story too. And this is where we get into the chat of Q. To do that though, I really, really, really do want to take a short break. Um, so I'm going to give myself a short break. To do that though, I think we should uh, listen to a song. And to listen to that song, you have to watch the video too, because this video is filled with symbology that starts to make sense. I mean, today is December 15th and it's, and it's hammer time. See you in just a few minutes. Can't touch this. Can't touch this. Can't touch this. Touch this. 
trying to get some things done. It's kind of hard going back and forth um, in my condition. So I apologize. Let me tell you why <sighs> it is such a fascinating day on January 6, 2023. Oh, Tori, are you going to tell us it's about the Bunsen brothers? And uh, I'm going to tell you that it has to do uh, about a lot of things. So allow me to show you rather than just tell you. Remember when I did my whole Q show and I told you about Q being software and everyone was like, shut up. <laughs> Knights of Malta and it was bullshit. <laughs> Some people say, well, <laughs> allow me to show you how shit that you think is real is not and how you've been hoodwinked. Because sometimes you have to sacrifice some things. You always say, but you're for last. Oh, gosh. What? So allow me to elaborate. This is the conference schedule for January 6th. Let me see if I could zoom in so people could see better. So here we go. We got all of these things. So, Tori, what are we looking for? Well, let's let's look at a few things. Right. So here we go. Let's see. We got the... They're being heard on that day. Right? Fantastic. Great opportunity. Let's hope. Then we have a case on schedule for the same day. Wait. Gets better. Q. Just go through Q. Not pulling it up with you. Damn it. There we go. You see that? NSO Group Technologies Limited at Al versus WhatsApp. What's that, Tori? That sounds like a conspiracy theory. Well, let's look at this conspiracy theory for a second. Okay. For all you know it all, because you're so amazing. So amazing. Oh, I have to upload the document. Give me a second. Let's get this. Where would it be? Where did I put it? Gosh darn it. See, this is so not good. Where is it? There we go. You know what I don't like? I don't like the fact that I am unable to... And share in the browser that is. Um, documents easily. I have to actually upload them and show them like that, which is super annoying. So now it just set me back like two seconds because I. It's like there's so many smack talkers, so many smart people here that know so much more because they've been like on top of things because they have inside info from assets, you know. Is this the one that I want to present? Let me see. No, that's not the one. That's later. Hold on. Let me find the right one. It's that one. Oh, shoot. What does that say? <clears throat> I'm sorry. I can't read. Can't read. Let me look at the chat. Maybe you guys can tell me what that says, right? I need someone to tell me what that says because oh, I can't. I can't read. Can't freaking read. Can someone tell me what that says? I, I uh, just like I'm trying to figure out what that says. I'm going to wait and see if anybody can tell me what that says. Can you guys see it? I don't know what that says. What does that say? Um, 
kind of think it says NSO Group Technology Limited and Q CyberTech, right? I think it says that. Am I right? Am I wrong? I mean, maybe I don't know how to read. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> maybe I don't know how to read. <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying, maybe I don't know how to read, right? I, maybe I don't know how to read. This is so weird. So weird. <laughs> so allow me to show you why as well. Save for last. And this is not supposed to be anti-Semitic. Because just like in America, we have great Americans and shitty Americans. Just like in Germany, we've got the Nazis and the non-Nazis. Just like in China, we have the pro-communists and not pro-communists. So, so now, as I explained to you, this technology, the Q software, right, can actually get into your phone and keystroke log and download information and harbor it. And you wouldn't even know. So I'm going to walk you through history because, you know, now all these insiders and drifters, I don't want to use grifters because it sounds super bad. So Q versus Meta, right? But I, and, and remember, General Flynn was on that board, you know, everything, but people don't know who they are. So I think it's important that we go through the whole thing, right? And understand what their lawsuit is about and why it should be heard. Now, the U.S. Solicitor General says it should not be heard. I say it should be heard because it's very, very, very important. Now, obviously, Biden's administration is under severe fire because in 2019, a new company was formed. It's called L3 Harris. Remember, like, level three communications, L3 communications. They were in one of my articles of Big League Politics. You know, the one that Soros owns a portion of? <laughs> and obviously, we have intelligence contracts with. Okay. Well, then this new firm called L3 Harris uh, came up and they started to have all these secret negotiations in 2019 to buy Pegasus. And it's like, mm. and then Biden did that too under his administration. He's been in Israel and he's like, yo, we want to just buy the software. And I want to explain to you um, what this tech does because a lot of governments have it, right? Um, actually, uh, the negotiations with the NSO group was... Um, totally abandoned uh, this June uh, because it was reported on. <sighs> I wonder who leaked that. But, <laughs> but it's like, what people don't seem to understand is that this, this, uh, this company has put them on really bad territory. And why? Well, I mean, uh, it can see everything. There's nothing it can't see. There's nothing that can be hidden. So the best way to explain this is to see what Al Jazeera says. Now, I'll tell you what. You know, I had um, done this. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, when was it? I'm trying to think. Ugh. I'll, f I'll find it and then I'll share it. Um, but I had explained to many that Everyone is surveilled. This company is just like any other company. It could have been from Switzerland. It could have been from Ghana. It could have been from Nigeria. It just happens to be Israeli. And the reason I say this is because many of my friends are like, Mossad is on our side. Mossad may be on the side of humanity, but Mossad is Mossad. It is a foreign intelligence agency. I have explained to everyone in very blatant terms that I work for a private intelligence contractor 
this case in the Supreme Court is to actually define that. And we'll walk through it. Because everyone right now has filed a lawsuit against this group. Boy, were they praying that they could find a link to President Trump, but they could not. Because it turns out it's an Israeli company. And then that would mean that they would have to attack the U.S. military, and then it would expose sources and methods, so you can't do that. Remember when, I don't know, a few years ago, we have everything we need. And, And we do. We still do. They've all been caught. Their problem is, is that the pedophilia was caught. The, the transactions were caught. The backdoor deals were caught. The China was caught. The, everything, they got caught. Everything. They got caught. Okay? They got caught because of this software. Right? Because the thing is that when you create something, you license it. I mean, Pegasus exists in Australia. And they mine data and they collect the data and they target people. Pegasus exists in France, Germany, Russia. They license it. It's good software. It's stealthy. There's no attribution, right? The question you should ask yourself, is that okay? Because it's not. Because it could get misused, right? We had the EFF arguing that all the time. You know, where they were doing the license plate reading, you know, that cops would do, right? Or just take my case, for example. How many intelligence tools did they use against me? Okay, fine. I'm a little bit different. I'm a private contractor, but I was acting in my capacity as a private citizen. How many freaking intelligence tools did they use against me while I was doing whatever I was doing, right, by myself? And I'm not saying this to be like, oh, Hercules, Hercules. Kind of, kind of feel like it sometimes, though, right? I feel like Atlas sometimes, though, trying to point out if I could lock up marshals, sheriffs, get AGs to suicide themselves by myself. Imagine what we're doing as a unit together, right? Because we're doing a lot of things. You may not see it yet, but you are. So back in the day, EFF used to argue, we can't have these facial recognition technologies, which by the way is Israeli. I've already showcased that. They could say, based on your physiognomy, I could tell you if you're a terrorist, (laughs) right? And then the FBI has actually bought Pegasus and they use it. The U.S. military does. DIA, DNI, all of them use it, right? Done. They use it, right? So then what's the big deal here? Oh, wait, wait, wait. This is where it gets fun. Because they didn't even turn up for their court. But people need to understand what the WhatsApp lawsuit is. And I want to remind you, WhatsApp was being used by Hunter Biden, Obama, Hillary Clinton. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> getting a little bit naked from my picture holder for my video to what I'm going to end with today. I just want you to take a listen to this report. ...company on the leading edge of spyware programming not show up for a recent court case. And does the NSO group think it's beyond the law? This is Inside Story.
Hello and welcome to the programme. I'm Peter Dobby. Now, its products can help hack the phone of a political activist, a journalist or even a prince. The spying technology owned by the Israeli NSO group is allegedly being used by authoritarian regimes and within that it's changing traditional relationships, good and bad. But it's also increasingly helping governments to crack down on whoever opposes them. NSO has faced a number of lawsuits, one of them from WhatsApp. The messaging app seems to be getting close to winning that case, if only as a function of a default ruling. The spyware manufacturer failed to show up in court in the US after it had said it would, quote, vigorously fight the allegations. A default was entered on Monday in San Francisco after WhatsApp said that its efforts to give NSO group notice of the lawsuits all went unanswered. WhatsApp says NSO abused a flaw in its messaging app to remotely hijack hundreds of smartphones. It alleges the firm created WhatsApp accounts that were used to send malware to the mobile phones of 1,400 people. Among them, journalists, human rights activists, political dissidents and diplomats. The affected users receive calls from several countries, including Bahrain, the United Arab Emirates and Mexico. Separately, a Saudi activist accuses NSO of providing the kingdom with the spyware required to hack his phone conversations with the journalist Jamal Khashoggi, who was later murdered. A New York Times report in 2018 says the UAE had asked NSO to hack into the phones of prominent figures. Amnesty International says rights activists and one of its own staff members have been targeted by NSO products. industrial complex, which has been running both Republican and Democrat Party campaigns, used hacks as cover for removing and replacing memorandums of understanding, backdoor deals, blackmail, election meddling software, emails, etc., from the RNC and DNC servers. This all came to a head in 2016 when an unexpected mirroring of the DNC server created a situation where domestic meddling in elections could be found out. So non-attribution and misattribution had to be used to make it look like the Russians not only hacked the DNC and RNC servers, but leaked that information to WikiLeaks and the Trump campaign to falsely claim Trump was colluding with the Russians to win the 2016 election. But when the Trump campaign turned down the honeypot trap offer from Cambridge Analytica for social media influence operations, which was a setup to make it look like the social media data used by Cambridge Analytica came from the Russians, the shadow government's plot to create a scenario for impeachment of President Trump failed. So when President Trump spoke with the newly elected president of Ukraine, all hell broke loose. The Atlantic Council, Spirit of America, Joe Biden, the Inspector General of the NSA, people at the State Department, USAID, Jones Group International, a handful of retired generals, and their affiliated companies were in serious trouble. So the second attempt to impeach the president was kicked off. But it failed too. 
though culpable, the FBI is low-hanging fruit, and James Comey is a fall guy. If we continue down this cover story narrative, then no one will ever be held accountable. We are here again today as part of the chairman's examination of Crossfire Hurricane, the FBI's Russia investigation. Crossfire Hurricane? More like Hurricane Electric being one of the server networks in Germany, inside the European Union, used for this elaborate scheme. What uh, Millie had shown in her documentary with Patrick and uh, Tori was really a, uh, a first-class body of evidence that the President of the United States should assign a special team of prosecutors, a special inspector general to investigate and prosecute because this really is the, the uh, you know, the, the weak point where the whole house of cards of the deep state and Brennan and Obama and Holder and all of these people could come tumbling down over. You know, the only person we haven't brought up yet in this Shadowgate series is General Flynn. We have so many uh, capabilities within the coalition, particularly our human intelligence collection, I think is, uh, is actually, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the, the, the pieces, the components that helps us out quite a bit. Well, if you're going to talk about General Flynn, we have to talk about Khashoggi. So I reached out to... If we're going to talk about General Flynn, we're going to have to talk about Khashoggi. Remember, I said that. And there was a reason I said that. Because here is what they tried to do and failed. <laughs> like, who done it? Wait, now let's go back to the Al Jazeera report. And we're going to watch it without any interruption. It's an arid, <laughs> it's a report. An inside story from the people that are pissed and let them be pissed. Okay, let's get going. Joining us here on the program today from Washington, D.C., we have Raphael Satter. He's a cybersecurity correspondent for Reuters. In London, we have Tanya O'Carroll. She's the director of Amnesty Tech. And in Brussels via Skype, we have James Shires. He's a professor at the University of Leiden who researches cybersecurity across the Middle East. Welcome to you all. Raphael, coming to you first, is it such a surprise that NSO didn't turn up to this court date? You know, Peter, it is and it isn't. Um, to a certain degree, these kind of cross-jurisdictional lawsuits are always a little bit fraught, and uh, there's often the argument uh, that one party or the other simply doesn't have jurisdiction um, and doesn't have cause to file in a particular jurisdiction. So it's not particularly surprising that there is a dispute over that right now. What is a little bit surprising is that NSO hasn't made any kind of legal answer whatsoever, um, but is still commenting on the case publicly. Tanya O'Carroll in London. Um is it short-sighted or slightly devious and disingenuous on the part of the company not to turn up? Well, I think this is actually in keeping with what we've seen from NSO really over the last year, as they have increased their public profile more and more, engaging with the media, clearly trying to get ahead of the criticism that they have been confronted with. Um, as, not to mention a number of lawsuits. This is just one. There's also lawsuits in Mexico and Cyprus. Um, sorry, Cyprus and Israel and Amnesty International are bringing one of those cases in Israel. 
Um, so I think it's, it's a delaying tactic. Uh, it's inconsistent incons with what we know of them. They're a slippery company. Um, they have said they want, they want to put up a vigorous fight, but I suspect that that vigorous fight may not be by turning up and actually uh, answering in front of a judge and jury um, and confronting the evidence that's been um, presented to them. I suspect it will be a lot more of a, a tactics of uh, discrediting, delaying, um, as well as looking for, for a way out. And of course, they've also brought a counter lawsuit in Israel against Facebook. So yes, I think this is quite um, what we expect and what we continue to expect from NSO. So we're saying that Apropos of what we said in the introduction to the program, this company does think it's above and or beyond the law because it can discredit people who are taking it to court outside the court system. Well, the truth is, unfortunately, at the moment, they are above and beyond the law because there is absolutely no effective law um, really providing effective governance and oversight of the spyware industry. Um, this is something that Amnesty International has been calling out for, for years now. The spyware industry has been operating in total impunity for more than a decade. Um, and NSO is one of the most prolific and notorious uh, actors, certainly one of the actors that's most in the media spotlight. There have been multiple cases of um, very clear evidence at this point, not of isolated cases of human rights activists and journalists being attacked by NSO um, spyware Pegasus. But actually... Um, much more broadly, you know, 100 human rights defenders and activists were revealed by the WhatsApp disclosure. Amnesty's own research has found over and over again, including very recently, Moroccan activists who've been targeted by NSO spyware. Our own staff members have been attacked by NSO spyware. And until there is effective laws in place that really govern the export and transfer of this kind of sophisticated and invasive uh, technology, really, we're talking about cyber weapons here, uh, they will continue to be able to act flagrantly and, and there's, there's no stakes for them. They can walk away. Um, and I hope that this case from Facebook, and I think it is the first really strong case where we may actually have a chance of seeing some accountability. James Shires in Brussels. How unusual is it for a service provider to take a third party into a legal process on the part of that service provider's users? Because that's, that's what WhatsApp slash Facebook are doing here. This is very unusual. It's the first time we've seen any case of this kind uh, where a targeted surveillance company is being taken to court by a large service provider or platform company. Uh, usually, uh, as you say, the users themselves are the main targets. This is where WhatsApp is stepping up and seems to be taking responsibility for its users. Its rhetoric around the court case says that it wants to protect the privacy of its users. So it has a large reputational effort in order to try and take this company to court to show that it is sending a message to companies that are going to exploit its services and its technology in this way. All right, so let me just pause now that we covered that. So Facebook, Apple, a bunch of companies started suing NSO. Oh, how dare they! take Hunter Biden's messages and they wait, wait, you'll see about Khashoggi. Wait, but see, disinformation is very important, <laughs> especially when it's planted at the right place. Because if they only had the inclinage to think, wait, 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 this is how we can get rid of the right wing. Wait, 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 this is how we connect it to President Trump. Wait, 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 wait. 
this is how we connected to this. And you know, as I was thinking about it, do you know how many people have access to Pegasus? I mean, anybody can have access to the winged horse. In fact, in fact, I believe that video still exists. Maybe I can show it to you. There is, oops, a video. I have to go all the way back to 2018. Let me see. Give me a second. Let me see if I can find it. Where I, it's from November 1st, 2019. I think it was a, the 2018 show, 2019. They've deleted most of them, you know, on YouTube. There was a video where I just kept showing the little winged horse and schematics and GitHub shit. Can't find it. The oldest video here is November 1st, 2019, three years ago. I think maybe it was removed. It would have been interesting for you guys to see it. I could have access to that. You wouldn't know if I'm watching your messages now, would you? Because it's a product and people are the customer. That's basically how it is. It's not anything different. It is legit a product. A product for law enforcement agencies, for government agencies to be able to find pedophiles and prolific criminals. Now, what happened here? Well, the lawsuit that happened, Facebook sued and other people sued, but NSO did too, and they're in the Supreme Court. And they're actually in the court to say, well, what constitutes this so we can clear up the law? See, one would be like, they're there defending themselves. No, no, they're not. They're there to say, what's considered a foreign entity? Where are the exemptions? You sacrifice something to get something. It'll make sense. Listen to the rest of this. Raphael Sansa in Washington. NSO have gone public saying the Saudis allegedly trying to hack Jeff Bezos's phone wasn't the Saudis using their technology. Two quick questions. One, do you believe them? And two, if it wasn't NSO technology, who did the technology come from? Right. Well, I mean, it's not my place to believe or not believe them. Um, and I think it's important to note that NSO has uh, declined to say who its clients are. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation and indeed a lot of reporting, some very serious reporting around the use of NSO technology by the Saudis, most notably recently when a journalist from the New York Times went public um, to say that he had been targeted using NSO technology. So uh, there does appear to be some use of very sophisticated spyware by the Saudi government. Um, that said, as far as the Bezos case is concerned, I think that there are some, uh, some, still some unanswered questions about exactly what happened there. Um, the FTI report, which was commissioned by Jeff Bezos, um, has been criticized by some people as being a little bit light on technical data. And uh, I look forward to seeing what other reporters can dig up on that particular case. Tanya in London, Israel or slash Israel, the NSO group, seems to have cornered the market at this leading edge of cybersecurity. Why Israel? Why not the Americans? Why not the Russians, for example? Um, well, I don't know if it's completely true that, that Israel is the only uh, country that is exporting this kind of um, cyber surveillance technology. We actually see a number of companies, and we have been for 10 years tracking companies. Um, there was the Italian company hacking team until it you know, was sort of busted 
um, after some leaks in 2015. There was Finn Fisher, which was a Brit originally a British company, Gamma International, then became a German company. Uh it's almost as if they're scared to say Israel. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. <laughs> right? Wait. If you can see, for those watching and those that can't watch, that's why I pause it, it says, WhatsApp filed a lawsuit against NSO in October, accusing the firm of hijacking their phones. But they also say that um, one thing that they did was that um, they claim that the actual software was used to check the messages with Khashoggi. So I think it's really, really important that people pay attention to that, that the issue that they had was that messages were, that they were using NSO tech to um, watch the messages of Khashoggi. It was all over the screen, remember? As you were watching, it said, oh, they're saying that this is how they, the journalists claim that, oh, yeah, they like, they, 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 I'm a journalist and I'm an activist and I'm a diplomat and they were checking my software and they could see Jamal Khashoggi's texts. And that's why, you know, he was done for or whatever, right? And that's what it is. It's that the activist said, NSO technology helps Saudi government access his conversations with Jamal Khashoggi. So, that's why I said, we're going to talk about General Flynn. We're going to talk about Jamal Khashoggi. That is what I was referring to. NSO, Q, Cyber Technologies. Hold on. Let's keep going. Dean, there was Finn Fisher, which was a Brit originally a British company, Gamma International, then became a German company. Uh, there is a very, very extensive industry that has been blossoming, really, in the last 10 years. And I think as technology has driven prices down and this technology is more readily available for governments around the world to purchase, we're seeing and we're going to continue to see a proliferation and diversification of the market, not only by major players um, such as, you know, Israeli government, um, where there's a lot of investment in universities, in technology, in really being out in front in developing some of the most, more elite and sophisticated uh, technologies in the industry, but increasingly homegrown stuff as well. And Amnesty Tech uh, housed a security lab of five hackers and technologists who pretty much spend their full-time jo job is just tracking cyber attacks and campaigns targeting civil society and activists all around the world. Um, and we found 10 campaigns in the last two to three years, Pakistan, Mexico, UAE, um, Egypt, really, you name it, this stuff is absolutely everywhere. And we're going to continue to see more and more of it being developed by governments um, and not just exported by, by big governments like um, big countries like Israel. James Shires in Brussels. Tanya, in her earlier answer to one of my questions, was basically saying this is an area of warfare or we're heading towards a, a time perhaps when this will be an accepted area of warfare. <laughs> Before we get to that point, you've studied the Middle East extensively. Is it rebalancing or redrawing relationships, virtual relationships that exist outside of the traditional relationships? Because if the Israelis are getting friendly with the Saudis, with NSO in the middle because people are hacking other people's phones, that's perhaps, a, a, they would say, a necessary positive relationship that one would never have predicted without this technology. That's a really good point. And it's worth remembering that from the available public data, it looks like NSO doesn't have that many customers. It has around 60 customers. 
and around 40% of those are in the Middle East. And so the Middle East is a large market, not just for the NSO group, but also for other um, spyware and targeted surveillance technologies. In terms of the regional geography and the geopolitics of targeted surveillance, although the use of these surveillance technologies is generally domestic, they're designed for internal uh, political control, this can spread over borders, it can spread to dissidents beyond borders, and as you say, the source of this software, the ability to sell it between countries that haven't always been friends in the past, can uh, redraw political boundaries. Not to say this is the only thing, there are other technological developments, larger signals intelligence capabilities, military capabilities, and broader geopolitical pressures that are changing these boundaries, but this is certainly playing a part. Tanya, what are the potential consequences around a region like the Middle East? Because if you've got multiple customers working for multiple agencies, I mean, to ask the question a different way, is the use or the second handed on use of this technology, is it licensed in any way? Is it governed in any way? Or does it, does it just operate in the shadows all the time? Well, Technically, one of the ways that it's governed is through export licenses. Um, so the Israeli, so in, in NSO's case, it needs to apply for an export license for the Ministry of Defense in Israel, um, who then grant that license and allow it to export its technologies around the world. Um, there should be a degree of due diligence that happens as part of that process. Um, and in terms of international human rights law, there should be a human rights due diligence there in terms of really saying, is it actually appropriate to be selling this technology to X government if we know that X government has a really, really poor track record in terms of human rights and internal repression of its own citizens and that therefore there's a high risk that the technology will end up being abused. Um, but what, we, what we're seeing, not just in Israel, but really, as I mentioned, it's really in lots of uh, countries that are selling this and exporting this kind of technology, many of them in Europe. It's not just uh, spyware and malware, it's increasingly really advanced um, biometric systems, facial recognition systems, um, many of which also can have incredibly detrimental consequences when they're used or misused um, against their own populations. And what we're not seeing is really that there's any effective human rights due diligence in that process. So much like traditional arms, um, way before we managed to get things like the arms trade treaty in place, there is just a sort of wild west of companies springing up and able to sell things with very little scrutiny um, to really any, any government that they like. And the proof is in the pudding. We are seeing such extensive misuse and abuse. Um, and that, that, therefore, they're clearly the due diligence and governance that is existing at the moment is absolutely failing to curtail human rights abuses and it needs an overhaul. Okay, Raphael Sata in Washington, coming back to you. Um, the people who work for Citizen Lab in Toronto, they on their website as of today are listing several countries that use Pegasus. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, somebody please. Pegasus is the bug that you download into your device when you click on a link when you get that message on WhatsApp. They're talking about this having a presence in Bahrain, Kazakhstan, Mexico, Morocco, Saudi Arabia and the UAE. But my key point to you, Raphael Sata in Washington, is this. Um, they also found that this tech has a footprint in 45 countries around the world. Therefore, is the technology an incubator for the military or those parts of a country's apparatus, its security apparatus that wants to do something involving this technology before it gets military or before you say 
kill a Washington-based journalist when he's walked in to the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. Right, so Citizen Lab has indeed found traces of Pegasus all over the world. So first of all, Khashoggi was not an American. Let's just can you make that clear. Clear. Right. Second, what you need to understand is, and I will read from the actual filing of NSO, right? Because that's what's important to do. Uh, they clearly say who they are. NSO Group Technology Limited's parent company, parent company is Q Cyber Technologies Limited, the parent company. Q is the parent company of NSO, whose parent company is OSY Technologies. No publicly held company owns 10% of more of the stock of NSO Group Technologies Limited or Q Cyber Technologies, but they don't talk about OSY. Now, they describe themselves as who they are and what they do. And I'd like to read off of what they filed in the Supreme Court of the United States in their petition. Because it is important to understand how you change things. A lot of people have the impression that, you know, you're just going to go in there, pull them out, drag them out, put the handcuffs and, you know, shame, shame, shame with the bell. That's not how shit works. You live in la-la land and you watch way too much TV. Things that actually make things work are the things that, like the Brunson brothers, have attempted to do themselves. Because, you know, obviously no one is going to listen to them. No one is going to pay attention to them because, you know, they mock them. At least they're trying. What are you doing? Absolutely nothing. So their filing in there states that, um, you know, what they want to clear out is our private contractors covered by immunity, which is quite interesting. But they also state that their technology is actually this. NSO, wait, let me, let me put it up on the screen for you so you can see it too, what I'm reading. Give me a second. I know it's not very good, but... Um, let's go. This is the right one. Did I pull the right document or am I in the wrong one? Give me a second. No, it's the wrong one. Let me get the right one up. It's hard to remember which one's which. There we go. This one. All right. I'm trying to get through the pages really quick. So that way you guys can see it on the screen. So people are like, is he ready? But he show us where it is. You know, because you get those people too. Is that not the, the same document that I'm reading? Did I not upload it? Hold on, I should have. It's page 20. Uploading it takes forever. No, it's not there. Hold on. Let me just check my document. It's supposed to be, okay. Let me file, save as... You just put it there. Uh, there it is. All right. Let me get the right document up for you guys. Excuse me. Let's get it up. Upload. There it is. 
So as you heard so far uh, from their reporting that they were actually sued and they didn't turn up, obviously, because they were all waiting for discovery. The complaint that they had is that 1,400 accounts through WhatsApp were targeted and they found remnants. And the reason they did that is because the DOJ and lines of questioning that some politicians had, <laughs> um, they couldn't have known unless they saw their WhatsApp messages. So Zuckerberg got into gear and they're like, somebody's looking at our messages. Here's the factual background of who NSO is. NSO is an Israeli company that designs highly regulated technology for the use by governments to investigate terrorism, child exploitation, and other serious crimes. One of NSO's products, a program named Pegasus, enables law enforcement and intelligence agencies to remotely and covertly extract valuable intelligence from virtually any mobile device. Pegasus is marketed only to and used only by governments and government agencies. NSO licenses Pegasus to its government customers. The licenses are approved by the Israeli Ministry of Defense. And NSO's customers choose whether and how to use Pegasus. So the respondent in this case, WhatsApp, owned by respondent Meta Platforms, is a popular communication service. In 2019, right, WhatsApp was used by approximately 1.5 billion people in 180 countries. Some WhatsApp users are violent criminals and terrorists who exploit the software's encryption to avoid detection. Technology like Pegasus enables governments to prevent terrorism and violent crime through investigations that might otherwise be frustrated by WhatsApp's software encryption. Meaning, there's a back door. You can always make a back door. In 2019, WhatsApp notified 1,400 users that their mobile devices may have been accessed by government actors using Pegasus. Wait, okay. Maybe those are the accounts that have that shield where you can't screenshot their Facebook profiles. Almost like that Arabic one I shared on Twitter. Almost like, I don't know, of that one politician. Wait, it gets better. In um, WhatsApp notification killed a significant investigation by European governments into an Islamic State terrorist who had been using WhatsApp to plan an attack. WhatsApp then filed its suit, claiming its servers were used in the process of installing Pegasus on the devices of 1,400 users. WhatsApp asserted claims under Federal Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. NSO moved to dismiss. As relevant here, it challenged the district court's subject matter jurisdiction on the ground that it was immune from this suit as an agent of foreign governments. NSO supported its factual challenge to jurisdiction with a declaration from its CEO who explained NSO's conduct on behalf of foreign governments. Okay, so we're just going to pause right there and go back to what Al Jazeera wants us to know. You know, all these people that are upset that we got their child porn, their fraudulent transactions, their Batori 
surveillance is not good. No, it's not. And I agree with you. I didn't, I mean, it's a handy tool. How do you think I know everything about the State Department? But we'll get into that. Now, the thing about surveillance is that we are all in the system, a system that is lawless, a system that it's making its own laws. There is no internet bill of rights. You have no protections. Therefore, neither can this company be held accountable as there is no actual expectation of privacy or any rights to be upheld in this non-tangible space, right? This is a non-tangible space where people meet and exchange information. So if they're watching us, we can watch them too. And so some people got very, very upset. I mean, this is why they get very upset with Q. So here's what happened. As Q was realized to be what it was, we had some weird people. <laughs> Again, then it tells you, wait, uh, then does that mean that they're Mossad? Well, you should go ask them directly. Um, if that's the case. Are you working for Mossad? Are you an agent of another nation? Who are you talking about, Tori? Hold on, let me show you. It's the actual people that want to silence me, so you should see it. Share that here real quick. Let me share that. It's important. Because remember, these people were the ones that were helping create the proximity. So that way, this lawsuit, the lawsuit of we're going to get Trump, would have stuck. But they failed. Too bad. Tory came on. Listen to this. We love you! Oh, that was Tracy Bean screaming she was cute. I just wanted to share that with you again, just in case you missed that memo, right? Where she said that she was cute. Do you remember that? You remember that? So there were no laws broken, right? Because there are no laws that govern this. And government agencies with legit investigatory powers are able to target them. The problem was that this was supposed to be weaponized in 2019. So when I saw that in 2019, this video came out, well, we had to do a little bit of side boggling and I came out a little bit stronger. And, and this is why I was being whipped pretty bad, pretty bad. So, you know, uh, you know, like even Brian Cates, I mean, have you looked in to see who he's associated with? I mean, I know his brother was like some military operative. He's an operative. He's also an asset, right? They're all assets. Every single one of them is assets. And then, you know, I have friends that are pretty powerful. They're like, Mossad's our friend. I'm like, fuck you. No one's your friend unless they're American, period. But they're our friends. No, no one is your friend. 
Okay. We organize the whole thing. We're cute. Right, Tracy Beans? This is how you create proximity. Kind of like the way Ali Akbar tagged on to the whole plot against the president thing to create this proximity through other people's influence to pretend that he was there. But the Akbar thing, guys, don't worry. You're going to get it with the J6, uh, you know, documentary that's coming soon. Still editing, still doing. I haven't even done the voiceovers yet. I, I really want to get it done by Christmas, but I've been so bad. Now, <laughs> nice. Uh, and I say this, I say this, because there are a lot of people that command Q technologies. And a lot of people that are acided to protect them, amplify them, misinform them, and push them. Now, this technology is fantastic. And this lawsuit, again, Q Technologies, is on the docket for January 6th. January 6th is a pretty big deal, okay? Pretty big deal. January 6th, 2023 is a pretty big deal. Now, is it bad? No. I mean, we have people like the Knights of Malta that are, you know, part of these companies and everything. And this is probably why they didn't respond. We're not going to get into discovery because you said so. Um, we like to keep our things in check the way we want to. And so what they did was exactly what I did, which is they argued the law to make it clear. And keep in mind, NSO groups filing at SCOTUS, even though the Solicitor General doesn't want to hear it, I'm really hoping that the Supreme Court of the United States clarifies. Because this has to do with our national security in using uh, technology, no, using private contracting firms. So while WhatsApp was going in, yeah, yeah, we want this company, we want it, yeah. How do they know this about Hillary? How do they know this about Biden? How do they know this about Obama? It's like, huh? how do we know this shit about Linux? How do we know shit about Victoria Newland? How do we know about the State Department using Etsy? How do we know about the pictures with your kids? How do we know? How did we know? How did we know? Yeah, tech, right? And hence why they're working around the clock to get quantum antivirus, even though we don't have quantum internet, by the way, right? Apparently. So people say, well, that's Israeli tech. And just like Chinese tech, if the Israelis are lending it out to you, they can also use that to collect information. So hence why I'm like, they're not your friend. I speak from a point of privilege, as the left says, of experience, knowing that anything we gave to our customers, well, I, you know, I didn't have a customer because I wasn't like brick and mortar, but I was actually a customer of the CIA, right? So when I would go there, I'm their customer and I'm like, I need this information, right? Which I have done a couple times, right? They give me this information or the technology or the tool that I want because then I'm going to resell it to one of our friendlies. So like, for example, let's just pick a random nation. I don't know. Um, so go with Germany. So if I was like to go there and they're doing some clean energy stuff through Deutsche Bank down in Singapore, just hypothetically speaking, of course, and I'm selling them this information and this tool to assist them in mining the data correctly, right? Which I obviously don't know the intricacies of the mining of the data, but I do know that we have a piggyback. So it reports back to us. So again, you know, well, many may say, Mossad, MI6, they're our friend. Fuck you. It was Mossad and MI6 and MI5 and all these other Canadian intelligence agencies that tried to stymie the president of the United States, President Donald J. Trump, from even being inaugurated in 2017. So stop. So stop. I don't want to hear it. Stop.
unless it's yours, there's always a threat. But they're smart and they did it. Great. Buy it. Don't use it. Reverse engineer it. Make it better. There you go. Boom. That's what China does. Why can't you do it? And that's why. That's what Turkey did. <clears throat> that's what Iran did with drones, right? And this is why Turkey is making fantastic drones right now. So, okay. Just like they're trying to reverse engineer Elon Musk's Teslas, but they really can't because they don't have his AI. He's got 10 years worth of AI. So, no match for them. So let's continue and listen to what Al Jazeera has to say. It gets very interesting because this is very, very, very important. Wait till you hear what Apple has to say, but we're going to go into that later. Just take a listen to this. Uh, Pegasus in 45 countries. 45. And, um, and they're reporting stretches back several years. Um, there's, a, there's a slight scary correction that I'd like to make to what you talked about in terms of the WhatsApp bug. Um, most people think of hacking as something that happens when someone sends you a link, for example, by text or by email, and then you inadvertently or out of naivete, you click on that link and then you download that piece of spyware. What was particularly frightening about the alleged WhatsApp hack um, attributed to NSO was that it enabled people, um, uh, operators across the world, to be able to hack phones without any interaction with the target or the victim. That is to say, all you need is somebody's telephone number and you press a button and you hack them. No interaction needed. That's what makes all of this so intrusive and so scary. Um, to go back to your question um, about you know, the spread of NSO and who uses it, uh, NSO says that it only sells to government agencies, intelligence agencies, and law enforcement agencies. Um, so the fact that you have it so widespread or, or, or the allegation that it is so widespread across the world suggests that um, for this company, at least, you've got a whole range of government clients um, across Africa, the Middle East, Asia, Europe, and indeed Latin America. Um, so that does give you some hint of the ubiquity of this kind of spyware. Tanya, in London, to go back to the point that you were talking about, you know, when it comes to how this stuff is governed, NSO says, and I quote, it's harmonizing its governance structure I'm not sure what that means, but there is something of an international disconnect here, surely, because the FBI out of the States, their official line is, we are going to take a very, very, very hard line on this. And yet, a few months back, there was a very high-profile, off-the-radar security summit slash conference slash sales pitch in London, hosted by the British government. NSO had a presence there. So how do you get governments to draw the balance between selling this kind of stuff and making sure that journalists, people who are interested in human rights, are kept safe. I mean, that absolutely goes right to the heart of this, doesn't it? In the sense that the proliferation of the industry and the market for spyware like NSOs has come about precisely because there is so much demand from governments, and that includes governments like the UK government. Um, NSO clearly have a reputation. They've been able to, um, to build up a, a very... A credible reputation among many governments, law enforcement and intelligence agencies over a few short years. Um, the fact that Novel Pina uh, bought, the, which is an investment company in London, uh, bought the majority shares of NSO last year uh, from, uh, from its previous owner in California is a sign. And, and Stephen Peel, who's on the, you know, who owns Novel Pina is, is widely regarded. In fact, he used to be on the 
board of Global Witness, which is an environmental NGO. So he's very much part of, sees himself as part of the great, great and the good. Um, there are lengthy backwards and forwards with Novel Pina about that purchase, um, show that they really see themselves as wanting to come in and clean up the, the industry, clean up NSO, make sure that there's proper effective human rights due diligence in place. Um, NSO then published its first human rights policy, which is unprecedented in this industry to see a company publish a human rights policy. But at the moment, we're still seeing that this is all nice words and that while they have a very clear interest in kind of stepping out of, of the shadows and wanting to, to be seen as more um, credible in, in, in the public eye, um, and they've you know, hired a PR firm, it's a good example of that. They've been doing interviews with journalists, I think, in order to sort of clean up that image. Um, even the name Pegasus itself, the sort of white-winged horse, gives the, the idea, I think, of this sort of um, anodyne computer program that's doing good, fighting terrorists, fighting bad guys. Um, but we're just not, in, until we actually start seeing that, you know, this is not ending up on the phones of human rights activists, journalists, uh, any critical voice around the world, then, you know, we can't really take them at their word and we can't take them seriously. And at the same time, these underhand tactics, uh, the fact that the lawyers who are involved in the cases, bringing the cases in Cyprus and Israel, have been uh, approached by undercover operatives. Now, no one knows who's behind any of that. Of course, it may be one of um, NSO's clients, it may be one of the government's. But there is a lot to suggest that, you know, NSO is not doing enough. At the very least, it's being grossly negligent in terms of its obligations to human rights. James, if we assume for a second that a lot of this will be played out as part of this legal process in San Francisco, is one of the big issues going forward WhatsApp, Facebook's interpretation of the law? Because it comes down to a thing called the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. And how do you apply that in a court in San Francisco to a company that's got customers around the world, that's based in the Middle East, that's got operatives in other parts of the Middle East and does lots of business with 45 other countries? As you say, it's complicated. Uh, the legal argument that WhatsApp is putting forward uh, is based on the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act in the US. There are other charges, uh, breaching terms of service, um, WhatsApp's contracts, for example, but they are state-based charges, so they are uh, secondary to this larger charge based on the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. The hard thing for WhatsApp to show is that it was the target of uh, NSO's um, actions, and that is what uh, legal experts seem to think is the key difference. It has to show that there was some sort of violation, some sort of um, uh, illegal action taken against WhatsApp's servers or WhatsApp's code rather than against its users. And that'll be one of the key things if this case ever comes to light. But cross-jurisdictional uh, issues, legal cases where the firms themselves are multinational firms depends a lot on uh, venue shopping for both the legal system they want to uh, take the court case in and also where they are officially based. Raphael Satter in Washington. Does some, some of this as well come down to the fact that um, multi-agencies, multiple countries have to deal with the infrastructure companies because you need to be able to cut the supply chain of that bug getting onto your device and that's the only way to do it? Um, well, 
In terms of the legal process, I think that um, what will be very interesting, uh, if it does indeed, uh, you know, if, if NSO does indeed show up to court, which is not totally clear that it will, um, I think the discovery will be very interesting. Um, on the one hand, it's going to be very unusual, in fact, unprecedented as far as I'm aware, um, to see the inner workings of a spyware company uh, through a court case, through the lens of a court case like this, because there's a process called discovery in which uh, both WhatsApp and NSO will have to produce some documentation. Um, on the other hand, it will also be interesting from the WhatsApp point of view, because we'll see um, how WhatsApp deals with these kinds of spyware companies, how it protects its customers, or and its, rather its users, and um, and we don't, you know, we don't have a great deal of insight into that. WhatsApp is a platform that's used by an extraordinary number of people across the world. So um, I'm very much looking forward to seeing how that case plays out. Um, as far as the infrastructure that you mentioned, you know, the supply of bugs, uh, that's a whole nother story. Um, NSO and other spyware companies rely on an entire market of uh, vulnerability vendors. These are people who find the sorts of weaknesses in programs like WhatsApp or Skype or other telecommunications programs. They find those vulnerabilities, um, they, they create tools to exploit them, and then they sell those tools on to vendors that can then package them into pieces of software that are used by companies. It's a complicated supply chain, and I think it's, it's, it's worthy of kind of further journalistic investigation. Okay, it's genuinely very, very scary stuff. Raphael, Tanya, James, thank you all so much. Thank you to our guests. They were Raphael Satter. So let me explain to you what happened. So people were targeted and maybe someone was like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, my God, maybe Trump did this. Maybe Trump had his people do it, but he didn't. <laughs> and that's what the funny part is. And it's like, so they got excited and they're like, we're going to file a lawsuit, but they didn't even have any claim. They wanted discovery. That's all they wanted. And the judges in the Ninth Circus Court were like, yeah, let's see sources and methods. So that way we can combat them knowing the shit we're doing. And it's like, yeah, so we're not going to do that. We're just going to come and jump straight into the Supreme Court. And at the Supreme Court, the question that they're asking is whether non-government corporation that does not come within the definition of a foreign state under the U.S. Foreign Sovereignty Immunities Act of 1976, 28 U.S.C., 1603 A and B, may nevertheless be entitled to immunity from suit as a matter of federal common law based on the conduct it claims to have engaged in as an actor of a foreign state. See, the concern is, is that a lot of the things that we do as a nation, I being one of them, we have contractors that conduct a lot of the work, especially when it comes to clandestine operations. And when we don't want our government to be caught looking at our friends and enemies and understanding that uh, that would be a matter of national security, they are asking for the courts to pretty much give full-blown permission to these cyber oligarchs to see the methods of how such operations happen. And what NSO argued 
is that they are a private contractor and therefore they should be afforded the right to protect that with immunity. And it's completely understandable, right? Despite the whole issue, the blessing in disguise is that there were two courts and both courts said different things. So we have to figure out, you know, if FSIA applies and you're going to be like, what does that mean? And let me explain to you how private contracting works. So that way you can understand how software like Q can be used and how it's done. Obviously, it comes with your influence operations, your disinformation operations, et cetera, et cetera. But it's important to be able to understand how, who can sue under FSIA. And, and that's what's important. So let me, I found a video for that. So let's get into that. It's pretty, it's pretty dope. It's three minutes. It's called the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act. And here we go. Sovereign Immunities Act was passed in 1976. It's the primary means for bringing a lawsuit against a foreign sovereign or its agencies and inter- instrumentalities. The act establishes certain procedures um, that have to be followed when suing a foreign sovereign and attaching property for international debt recovery purposes. Under the act, foreign states have immunity from lit- litigation, although there are, there are exceptions. Under customary international law, one foreign state, a foreign state is immune from the dur- jurisdiction of the courts of another foreign state. Until recently, there were very few exceptions to this rule. However, as governments began to conduct commercial activities between themselves on an increasingly frequent basis, complete sovereign immunity gave state governments an unfair advantage in commercial dealings. Exceptions were created through the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act to provide judicial remedies, including enforcement of arbitration agreements to private parties dealing with the state in commercial activities. When does a state not have immunity under the Foreign Sovereign uh, Sovereign Immunity Act. So, so you cannot sue another state in U.S. courts, but there's certain times that we can. Number one, the foreign state waives its immunity explicitly or implicitly. Almost never happens. <laughs> Two, commercial activities by the foreign state involve or directly affect the United States. Three, property taken in violation of the international law is at issue. Four, rights in U.S. property acquired by succession, gift, or rights in immovable property situated in the United States are at issue. Money damages, number five, are sought against a foreign state for personal injury, death, or damage, or loss of property by by tortious acts or omissions. Enforcement of an arbitration agreement made by the foreign state with or without a private party. Money damages are sought against a foreign state for personal injury or death that was caused by an act of torture, extrajudicial killing, aircraft sabotage, hostage taking, or if the foreign state is a designated sponsor of terrorism. So this is right here. Let me put it, pull this up for you in Russian. Um, this is the this is the key. This is where the majority of 
FSIA, Foreign uh, Sovereign Immunity Act cases have come in, is when the foreign government can be shown to aircraft sabotage, taking over an airplane, terrorism, when the, the government is acting illegally under this. So let's look at these and think about what happened here. So the WhatsApp figured out that Pegasus was on, was used against certain accounts on WhatsApp. Apple did, Microsoft did, because Apple filed a lawsuit too, right? Saying that U.S. citizens were targeted, right? But in order for them to sue this foreign state, because it is the Ministry of Defense in Israel that approves all the licenses that are sold, they have to show that, you know, Israel, their commercial activities are directly affecting the United States. But the question is, if the FBI bought it, right? The DIA bought it. The DNI bought it. The CIA has it. Then why are you suing them? Oh, you have to show that you were damaged as a company. So tell me what's up. How were you damaged as a company for the 1,400 users that included a few politicians getting that child porn and the terrorist stuff? How did that affect you? Our terms and conditions, because you got Pegasus on it. Apple, tell me how that helped you. Now, Apple, yours, uh, your complaint is based on the fact that they were able to discover what happened in the Las Vegas shooting. Your complaint is the fact on the San Bernardino shit. Your problem is Obama's phone. So how did it affect you, Apple? Well, we can't secure people. See, the new update that Apple just gave with their new phones today is called the lockdown feature. Have you guys seen it yet on your new Apple phones? Apparently, you can have that feature on and they will shut down your phone when the minute they detect someone is duplicating your information. So, <laughs> so think about it this way. If Apple can detect when you're being hijacked, right? And shut down your phone. Who's collecting that data, though? Apple is. Oh, but we're protecting it. Don't look at us. See, data protection and privacy is a very thin line to walk. Now, let's talk about, again, Q. Q, it was publicly being posted what we know, what, what information has been collected, how everything was collected, how, hey, you're watching us, we're watching you, we know, and it included predictive analytics, which the Israelis are pretty good, but the Americans are a lot better. We had access to people before you did. So, um, again, the phones can actually be put in lockdown mode to avoid penetration of your device. But that is not true. The device is actually locked down. If you actually check that feature off, they can shut down your phone whenever and just say that happened. And at that point, you can't send emails. You can't get on the Internet. You can't access your phone. Now, Legally, within the United States, uh, DHS, when it was created, allowed for the use of such technology. So they really don't have a leg to stand on. So I'm actually very excited about the fact that they took the bait and filed this. Because the real argument that we have to make, and we have to make that clear, is, you know, are, are, are we not protecting contractors? You know, it's, it's not a joke, Contractors are not protected. And you could say, what do you mean? I'm talking about like contracting agencies and single contractors. They are not protected with immunity like diplomats are because they're under covert things. So if they get caught and they get sued, then what can we do? And so 
Salmon tar, which is a case that was held by the Supreme Court, actually uh, is able to govern the determination of whether a foreign state is entitled to sovereign immunity. Because right now they're bringing Israel in to be sued. That's basically what they're doing. Now, do I have a problem with that? Maybe not. Um, their law firm representing them is King and Spalding. It's maybe not. I am of the personal, you know, opinion that such technology should not be used and should not exist and that privacy should exist. But Tori, then what do we do, uh, you know, with pedophiles? Well, we catch them and, you know, you have to catch them the right way. We don't forfeit our rights because there are, there's a 1% monster, kind of like how we don't forfeit our rights to, you know, be who we are because there's a 1% that doesn't like it. That's, that's the thing. The, 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 the argument that we're going to, we're going to see play out and I really hope that the Supreme court actually goes through with this is that the two courts conflicted each other on saying why they don't have immunity. And that was key here because, you know, you have to understand how do they interpret the foreign, uh, you know, state immunities? How do they interpret that? And here's the biggest reason as to why they're pushing for this. And this was the most fun part, right? That would be the State Department. The iPhones of a dozen U.S. State Department employees serving in Africa were hacked with spyware developed by Israeli technology firm NSO Group in the recent months. <sighs> Excuse me. I chuckled. According to a senior U.S. official familiar with the investigation and another source familiar with the matter, the State Department is in the process tr of trying to figure out who had access to hacked materials on those phones and how the hack occurred. And now that they know, right? Because they didn't know. I mean, iPhone knew because it was Obama that complained and they created a patch for it and they didn't really talk about Pegasus. They kind of did in 2018, but they didn't. They just released a patch. But anyway, um, so it's possible as a result that U.S. employees are getting new iPhones and the Pegasus spyware software remaining on the devices even after they wipe them clear. So even if you wipe your phone, that is still on your phone. It's a key logger. It sees everything you do. The State Department investigation is a sign that the thriving market for hacking tools sold by private firms is increasingly a threat to not just human rights, but also U.S. national security. So I want you to think about it for a second. It was a great decoy, right? Great decoy to get them to start the conversation. And I appreciate the sacrifice made. And the decoy was fantastic. But here's where it's going to. If we don't have an Internet Bill of Rights, technologies like Q software and others that are already on your phone that you don't even know exist, are mining your data every single day. It's data, data, data. Your data knows more about you than you know about yourself. It's quite fascinating that on January 6, 2023, not only is the long shot, but very well thought out and with magnificent intention Brunson case is being discussed, 
my case is being discussed. I, I think the printer delayed in, in filing my supplemental, which is terrible. But um, I spoke with my lawyer earlier and hence the delay um, for that supplemental. Mine is being heard. So we've got two election related cases and I guess, you know, the Q software case, which will dispel and create hard lines in identifying when we can forgive foreign state actors. And I say this because it's, it's, it's extremely scary if you think about it, because if, if this is not overturned by the way the Ninth Circus Court allowed it to happen, then that means that every single private contractor is free game to be sued. And the weird thing is, it was actual Joe Biden's administration that was negotiating for the purchase of Pegasus in its entirety from Israel in the past two years. So it is imperative that this case be heard and put correctly. Because even though the Solicitor General was like, no, deny it, don't listen to this case. No, it's really important. We need to be able to define the lines when a foreign state or agency can actually be held accountable, you know, and when they have conduct-based immunity, uh, similar um, to that available to individual foreign officials. Like, for example, a State Department has recognized the immunity of foreign officials in suits involving commercial acts for which a foreign state would not be immune under FSIA. So, like, for example, steel dossier. Why don't we target... MI6, he's intelligence of the United Kingdom. He's also part of GSG, by the way, TAC, CGI, but, you know, that's getting into the weeds. But think about it. Or Oleg Deripaska. You know, these are individual agents that we're holding accountable, but we're not holding their states accountable for who they represent. These are, these are the things that we need to be able to discern. And I'm really hoping that the Supreme Court of the United States drives that line, because if it does, it protects the contractors we have, but it also sets boundaries on what products we are allowed to buy. So here's where, you know, the Supreme Court can do some amazing work. And this is where the Q software can actually come on top and end this nightmare. The nightmare could be, here's what we're doing, uh, then how it can end. If there's another foreign country like China, Israel, Af uh, you know, Ghana, freaking France, I don't care. Because remember, I wrote an article on how um, Sofi, uh, which was a software company, was a third-party contractor. Well, no, uh, it was our direct contractor with the FBI. But then they outsourced the work to Russia. So basically, the FBI was using Russians to code for their, you know, surveillance equipment. I've written an article on that. So think about it. What we have to do is this can assist us in saying, all right, no, we can't hold Israel accountable for this. This is a commercial product. But going forward, here's what we're going to do. If you're going to be buying a product from a foreign nation, you need to have permission from all your intelligence communities that you are buying this product from a foreign nation. It has to be open and transparent. That's the way it is. It can't be under hush-hush negotiations like Biden did because what they were trying to do is to get hold of this software in its form now, so that way they can reverse engineer with the actual software that they already had, because obviously they develop more. And that's the way it is. This Supreme Court case, Q, can actually save our republic by simply making that definition. And um, 
that is what is the uh, most important thing that I see. I mean, January 6th, 2023, that is insane that all of those are coming. You know, obviously, they um, they have default judgments against them, right? Um, NSO Group does and Q Cyber Technologies does. They have default judgments because they didn't participate in the whole exploratory because that uncovered uh, sources and methods. And they're holding the company accountable, but the company is like a car company. I just sold the car, man. If the guy goes drunk driving and uses it, it's not my fault. So is WhatsApp alleging that the Israelis were the one that hacked it? No, it was our own government. It was our own contractors that our government paid. So the Q uh, cyber intelligence company, right, was, this is why it's a party, was the one that enacted it. But the Q cyber intelligence company is um, the parent company of NSO, but NSO, it, all, Q also has another parent company on top of it. So they targeted Q because this is why they hate Q and they called it a conspiracy theory and don't look at it when all the information is pretty accurate. Maybe out of time because it's not linear, but it's accurate. So what we would like to see is that the Supreme Court of the United States set boundaries in saying, listen, the way the law is, Israel gets immunity right now. Going forward, the way to remedy this to protect private contractors and governments that buy such software is that they, within their own nation, make the appropriate whatever. I, I mean, we have to figure out a way to protect the contractors because then you know what that means, right? That means that, you know, Deutsche Bank can come after me. Be like, what? You didn't use software? No, but it doesn't protect me. It doesn't give me immunity. This is just, I'm just hypothetically speaking, okay? It doesn't give me immunity as a contractor, but I executed work outside of my country representing my state, and therefore, I can then be sued, right? This is, I'm trying to make it, I'm trying to dumb it down so people that that don't understand how the intelligence community works, I'm hoping I'm making sense um, to those that don't understand it much, but a private corporation or other entity acting as an agent of a foreign state could be protected by some form of immunity outside of the FSIA in certain circumstances because the prerequisites for any such immunity actually don't exist. So under the common law courts, they surrendered their jurisdiction when the State Department filed a suggestion of immunity or the courts applied established principles accepted by the State Department if the United States didn't participate in the case. And that was part of the Samantha case, which, which, hold on, gets more explanation. Where is it? Right here. Just listen to this. Listen to this uh, news clip. Apple is suing an Israeli cyber firm and its parent company for allegedly targeting its users with spyware. On Tuesday, the iPhone maker said it had filed a lawsuit against NSO Group and its parent company, OSY Technologies. The Israeli company's Pegasus software infects smartphones to enable the extraction of messages, photos and emails, recall calls and secretly activate microphones. It's allegedly been used to target journalists, human rights activists and politicians. In its complaint, Apple said NSO's tools have been used in 2021 to, quote, target and attack Apple customers 
and that US citizens have been surveilled by NSO spyware or mobile devices that can and do cross international borders. Apple alleged the NSO group created more than 100 fake Apple ID user credentials to carry out its attacks. It said that its servers were not hacked, but the NSO misused and manipulated them to deliver the attacks on Apple users. Apple is seeking to also ban NSO group from using any Apple software, services or devices. NSO has always said its software is intended to be used by governments and law enforcement against criminals and terrorists. In a statement, it added that thousands of lives have been saved through the use of its tools. Apple plans to donate $10 million, as well as any damages recovered in the lawsuit, to cyber surveillance research groups. Didn't the Ukrainian government surveil and hack people like John Solomon and other? I wonder what kind of software they used. Oh, choose. It's almost as if we hack them ourselves to just amplify, because then, you know, uh, I don't know. Maybe that doesn't sound right, does it? I don't know. I don't know. This is just a suggestion. But they claim that it threatens democracy. Does it? With just a single text, it can bypass, bypass your phone's security and install spyware that grants complete access to your device. It can access every message you've ever sent. It can access every message you've ever received. It can access every photo, every video, every email. It can turn on your microphone. It can turn on the microphone even when you're not using a phone call and just record what you're doing in the room. It can turn on your camera. It can record what's on on your screen. It can access your GPS. It can monitor your location. And it can do all of this without you ever knowing. The spyware technology that makes this possible is called Pegasus. Pegasus is probably the most advanced piece of spyware ever developed. It is effectively the most invasive form of surveillance imaginable. Any idea that you had that aspects of your life could be kept private and on the mobile phone are wrong. So if you are someone who thinks that you're safe because you use WhatsApp, which is end-to-end -end encrypted, or you use Signal, it really is meaningless uh, once that Pegasus is on your phone. Pegasus can infect both iOS and Android while remaining virtually undetectable. So one of the ways that Pegasus will attack your phone is through what's called a zero-day vulnerability. This is a vulnerability that the phone's manufacturer doesn't yet know exists. Pegasus is the main product of a company called NSO Group, which is an Israeli surveillance company. So the people who are using this spyware are government clients. These will be governments around the world that the NSO Group have sold a copy of Pegasus to. A Guardian investigation can now reveal widespread abuse of Pegasus by NSO's government clients. The reason this investigation is so extraordinary is that we at The Guardian have gained access through Forbidden Stories to a treasure trove, tens of thousands of records. The leaked records include the phone numbers of thousands of people who have been selected as potential targets by governments with access to Pegasus. Before, we had an inkling that this technology was being used uh, in an abusive way. 
but now the doors have been just thrown wide open and we have a much greater insight into the scale of the abuse that has occurred. Just because a number appears in this list, it doesn't mean it was definitely hacked. But in some cases, we've been able to go and check. We've done forensics on the phone that the person was using at the time. And in dozens of cases, we found traces of either an attempted or a successful Pegasus infection. What we know about NSO Group and what they've said for years is that this is a law enforcement tool. But I think what our investigations really revealed is the extent to which that is just a complete um, you know, fantasy narrative. The implications of this software being used widely are effectively an end to privacy for the people who are targeted by it. That has very, very serious ramifications for how people who have legitimate secrets, which is everyone, go about living their lives. The most serious implications of something like Pegasus. They got caught. It makes it much more unlikely that a dictatorial regime will become democracy. Yeah, dictatorial regime will become a democracy. You mean what we have now? We're obsessive about trying to monitor their populations so they can control them and prevent them from, you know, rising up and overthrowing them. You mean what they've been doing now, where they're monitoring citizens that go to, you know, school board meetings? You mean the software that's being used against everyone? You mean how they privatize? Oh, my gosh. I just went on the chat. Uh, oh, my gosh. Stop. Thank you, Sad Rabbit. Thank you. Okay. Wow. Thank you. I was going to say, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the rant. <laughs> so, what I was going to say is, they <laughs> literally, all our phones have it. And this is how they monitor you. This is what China has on their WeChat. It's already baked into it. Apps that you have already, already have the code baked into it. Keystroke logging, your DMs, your emails, you're giving them access. Why do you think you have Google Captcha? Now, today, for the first time in about six minutes, I have to, I will be on Twitter spaces. I will share the link of a Twitter space. I do not have my Twitter account. I'm going with my little, uh, uh, another account that I'm going to log in with, and I'm going to do a Twitter space with Millie. Uh, so I wanted to say, this Q cyber software in coming out into the light itself, exposed exactly what their plan was, not Q's, their plan was, which is full world dominance. It's very difficult for anyone to create limitations on software. We saw this with the software we created in order to be able to mine data and use artificial intelligence and bots to attack our enemies. We used influence operations through digital mediums in order to influence enemy targets. Yet here we are in the United States of America. None of them have been sued. And people like uh, a lot of analytics company, Cambridge Analytica, 
one, right? And they're foreign, so whatever. Um, Jones International, Dynology, there's so many more spinoffs. ISI that Roger Stone had created with Rick Gates and Manafort, all of those are influence operations companies. And those are weapons of war that have now been privatized and commercialized to be able to hire the right people. And the AI will tell you if they're going to be good or bad. Please do not forget that Bill Barr was actually in office and created uh, the Minority Report, right? So these are really important things and important times that we're going through right now. The invisible chains are that of the system of tech boy. So in the American Gods clip that I showed you in the beginning of the show, I demonstrated to you how Tech Boy, it was like, hey, media, you can't live here without me because I have the power. Tech Boy represents the people, the people as they evolve throughout time. The people have control here. The people are in charge and we get to choose. Now, when the guy was saying, oh, but people have secrets and rightfully they do, the ones that got caught were the ones that are going to jail, the ones that are resigning, people like Bezos that had to step down, big CEOs that had to step down, but you're going to say, but they're not in jail. How do you know? How do you know? You don't know unless someone tells you. And so throughout this show, and I wish that you revisit it. And again, watch the Norse mythology because that'll make sense to you. It'll make sense. Take a step back. Don't look at it as just a, you know historical context from other people. I want you to focus and see it as it is. Take a step back and don't see it like, oh, this is religious. Kind. Think of all the things you know and find the similes. Step back and let those neurons connect. And then... Look at what Q Software did. It's almost like the hammer that killed the serpent, but also died from the spray. And it's fine because we get our internet bill of rights. And in the intangible space, we have some protections. Ah. The threat, though, is that we hand over the protections to artificial intelligence because we think they're more, less biased. That's it. Do not be deceived. Artificial intelligence is intelligence. And if you make it think binary and compartmentalize emotion and not be sentient as you, it is a catastrophe waiting to happen. So on that note, I have to bounce out because I'm going to be doing this uh, <laughs> this uh, live space. Uh, I'll share the link the minute I get in there. On that note, we're going to listen to one of the coolest songs, right? What was uh what was uh the best you know, she's I think she's actually one of Bonnie Tyler is one of my favorite singers. There we go. She's the best. 